0: Thank you, Jim. It's good to see you again. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to reflect on uh, God's message last week. And uh, what I recommend each of you do is take back what you hear, pray about it, hold it up to God's Word, and see what God wants to do in your life with that. So don't take it for face value. Always go to the Lord with it and see if the Lord would have you uh, do anything in your life with that. So, as we get going here, I just want to review what we talked about <clears throat> last week, and we talked about the lighthouse leadership principle, the five secrets to growing and guiding people. And you remember, just as a lighthouse has a rock-solid foundation built on uh, built on the rock, to have uh, a life filled with peace, joy, and true fulfillment, we also have to have that rock-solid foundation built on relationships, first with God. And if you have a family and a wife, then with our wives, and then with our kids, and then everybody else. And you remember we talked about your top five most important personal relationships. And what I'd like you to do is get those out again if you uh, have your notes from last week. And if not, or if you're a first-timer here this year, think of your top five most important personal relationships and go ahead and write those down right now. Your top five most important personal relationships... And last week I told you we were going to do one little thing with this before we get to the part about how Jesus was attractive to people and how Jesus guided the 12 disciples. So write down your top five most important personal relationships and then also your top five most important work relationships. And if it's your first time this year, your top five work relationships are the five people that you need to build relationships with in order to have a, a successful year or to have a smooth um, time at work, could be an assistant, could be a boss or a supervisor, could be some coworkers. <clears throat> and the reason I ask you this, and the reason the Lord put it on my heart to ask you, is because before having a relationship with God, I thought true fulfillment and peace and security came from money. I thought it came from success. I thought it came from accomplishments and achievement. But really what God showed me is it's all about relationships, the right ones and the right priority. First with Him, then with our wives, and then with our children, and everybody else. So 90% of your peace and your joy and your true fulfillment come from your foundation of relationships. Okay, if, you, if you've got your five personal and you've got your five work relationships, what I'd like you to do is we're going to measure the strength of them right now. And this is just going to give you a snapshot of your foundation. On a scale of one to five, I want you to measure the strength of each of your relationships. Say, for instance, God is your number one relationship. I want you to measure it on a scale of one to five. Is it a great relationship? Are you really hearing from the Lord? Do you feel like you're connected to the vine? If so, that's a five. Uh, With our wives or our kids, a five is... The relationship is just wonderful. The communication is great. You really feel like you're on the same page. On the other end of the spectrum, and I have experience with this, uh, Jill and I, the first couple of years of marriage, it was a little rocky, mostly because of me, and it was a one. Uh, when I scored on a, a scale of one to five, a one is something that's it's very hard. Um, you're not on the same page you get emotional maybe in a negative way when you try to communicate. In the communication, you're just totally on opposite pages. A relationship that you score one is something that you think about and and you worry about, and uh, it's not a good place to be, but take heart because everything goes in seasons. So if you've got an average relationship, it's a three. So you just, your best judgment, measure each of your relationships on a scale of one to five, and then add each of those up. So you should have a score for your personal relationships. A perfect score is a 25, 5 out of 5. And you'll have a score for your work relationships. Again, a perfect score is a 5 out of 5. Now this is kind of a goofy thing, and to do this in a short amount of time, we usually do this with leadership teams, we do it with personal coaching folks, and we usually have more time. But take those two scores and add them together and then double it. And then you'll get your academic score, 90 to 100 is an A, 80 to 89 is a B, and so on and so forth. And this just gives you a snapshot of the strength of your rock-solid foundation. And many times this is an eye-opener. I used to work in the financial services area, and most people don't balance their checkbooks, and most people don't know how much debt they have. But when they actually do that, and they really see a snapshot, there's a sense of relief and a sense of freedom because you know really where you stand. So this is the same thing with these relationships. just gives you a snapshot of really where you are and to get you to think about the strength of your relationships. We also talked about there are 50,000 lighthouses in the world and no two are exactly alike. They differ in size, shape, color, beacon pattern, foghorn pattern, and No two people are exactly alike. We're all different. God made each one of us totally unique. He gave us skills, abilities, strengths, weaknesses, things that we like to do, things that we don't like to do, things that you can do in your sleep, other people struggle with. And when you think about the people that you've been given the privilege to lead, those of you that have several different children, you can't discipline them all in the same way. They're all unique. They're all different. We have three daughters at home. And sometimes it's amazing that they've come from the same two parents and live in the same house. So it's interesting how many times when we lead people, we try to lead them all in the same way. But we don't take into account the unique character that they've been given by God. We also talked about purpose. What is your purpose here on this planet? Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, talks about five main purposes that we have. And really we're talking about, in in this time that we have, your purpose in your vocation. If you don't know what your purpose is here on earth in your vocation, go to God and ask Him. Say, Lord, you gifted me with a unique character. What is it that you want me to do? Many of us are like Michael Jordan when he played baseball. We just feel like we're kind of out of place. We're a little frustrated in our professions. But go to God and ask the Lord where He wants you to go. That leads us to the fourth secret to growing and guiding people and that uh... it's called attracting now before lighthouses were totally automated the lighthouse keeper had a number of daily tasks to perform to keep it running smoothly one of which was to remove the dirt the salt water and other impurities that would build up on the glass and hamper the beacon from shining out up to about forty miles out into the dark night when the glass was clean it was able to attract the attention of the sea captains we talked about that last week and we talked about having dirt on our glass Um, We also talked about your favorite teacher growing up. We talked about your favorite coach or your favorite mentor. And there was something about them that you were attracted to. And you can say they have an attractive personality. But there's one person who had more of an attractive personality than anybody who ever walked the face of the earth. And you know that answer. That's Jesus. If you study the scripture, you see that he did four things to give him the most attractive personality to ever walk the face of the earth according to Mark 6.32, in God's Word it says, When Jesus wanted to go rest and 5,000 people followed Him and gathered around, He had compassion on them and began teaching them many things. Jesus was available. Are you available to the people in your life? Can people get to you? Sometimes when men become quote-unquote successful in the world's eyes, They feel like they don't have to call people back. We feel like we don't have to email people back. And we're not available. And if you lead a team of people at work, they call that the open-door policy. Many times they say there's an open-door policy, but in reality, actions speak louder than words. Are you available for the people in your life? Jesus was available for people. When they needed him, he was there. The second thing Jesus did is that he was present in the conversations. In Luke 1835 through 43 we see Jesus was approaching Jericho, and a blind beggar called out to him. Jesus stopped and asked, "What do you want me to do for you?" The man said, "Lord, I want to see." Immediately, Jesus restored his sight, and he was on his way. When you 're with your most important relationships, when you 're with the Lord, in your quiet time, when you 're with your wife. Are you present in the conversation? Are you thinking about the things that you have to do on your list? Are you thinking about what happened at work and what you're going to do once the kids go to bed? Or do you have the ability to stop and focus like Jesus did? I've never been with, uh, in the same room with any of the presidents of the United States, but many people say that when you're with George W. Bush and some of the other folks that you feel like you're the only person in the room. And when I read the Scripture, I get the same feeling that Jesus was like that with other people, is that you felt you were the only person on the planet when He was talking to you. And so my question to you is, are you present in your conversations with with the Lord, with your wife, with your children, or do you have your own agenda and you want to talk about your stuff? The third thing Jesus did was, obviously, He served. (coughs) In Matthew 23... 12 we see the greatest among you will be your servant whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted you know many times in the world's eyes we feel like we can influence people because of our credentials because we've worked in the industry so many years or we have this license or we've achieved this or we have this title and many times people don't really care about that You know, if you're leading people through a dictatorship right now, behind your back they might be saying things that you're not necessarily uh, would like to hear. So we have to serve people and have that servant heart. And so ask yourself, do you have that servant heart when it comes to your kids, your wife, and the most important people in your life? And the final thing that Jesus did is he forgave. If you have any unforgiveness in your life right now, especially with your top five most important personal relationships. Do something in the next 24 hours and ask for forgiveness. <clears throat> it's really hard to walk around with a, a tough conscience, an unclean conscience. And so if, if you need to forgive anybody, go to them and say, hey, would you forgive me? I've been thinking these bad things. Or, hey, I know this happened between you and I. I just want to forgive you and, and move on. Um, So just to wrap it up, Jesus was available, he was present, he served, and he forgave. And that gave him the most attractive personality of anybody to ever walk the face of the earth. And when you think of your relationships, think of the relationship that you might have scored the lowest. It might be a tough season right now with that relationship. If you would do what Jesus did in these situations, you were available, you were present, you served that person and you forgave them, Could it make an impact on your relationship? Could it make an impact on that relationship? You know, when you think about serving our wives, it could be as easy as emptying the dishwasher on your way out in the morning. It could be getting her a cup of coffee. It could be very simple things. And most of the time, you can serve your wife or your children in a matter of 30 seconds to a minute. There are little things that you and I can do around the house that make a huge difference. And I just challenge you in the next two days, do five things each day to serve your wife or to serve your children. You'd be amazed at what happens when we just take that servant heart. <clears throat> so the goal of a lighthouse leader is not to flash your credentials and your title and get people to follow you and respect you. It's to serve them and be attractive to them like a lighthouse is attractive to the ships. You can stand tall you can shine your light, and people will be attracted to you. And they'll actually be attracted to Christ through you. And, and once people are attracted to you, you'll have that opportunity to influence them. When you think of your favorite coach or your favorite mentor, they had an attractive personality to you and they drew you in. And once they drew you in, then they were able to influence your thinking. So just be very careful not to uh, try to rule with an iron fist, whether it's at home or whether it's at work. Because that stuff is kind of, it it doesn't last. Dictatorships never really last. The fifth secret to growing and guiding people is the lighthouse guides ships into the harbor. Once we have a rock-solid foundation, once we have the unique character, the lighthouse knows its purpose, it's attracting the attention of the sea captains, then and only then can it do what it was made to do, and that's guide ships into the harbor. When you think of that mentor, that coach, basically, um, subconsciously, we talked about it last time, you gave them permission to guide you and influence you. And so do the people in your life give you permission or are you managing with authority? (coughs) And many times we talk about uh, the success of Jesus. I hate to say that, But sometimes in a worldly setting, they'll talk about, well, if He was such a great leader, what are some of the things that He did? And incidentally, I just want to say, if you get nothing out of this presentation other than this, learn everything you can about the way Jesus treated people. Read everything you can that was written about Jesus. Talk and ask questions to people that have been walking with the Lord for 30 and 40 years about Jesus and about their encounters with Jesus. And you will become the best leader that you can be. He is the greatest leader that ever walked the face of the earth if you get nothing else, read, study do everything you can to learn about how Jesus treated people well you know the story he wanted to spread a message, actually the father asked him to spread a message uh, the same message you and I have heard that's lasted over 2,000 years he didn't have the TV the internet or uh, newspaper so he picked 12 people Now, he didn't pick the 12 most influential people of our time, and today it would be Oprah or Dr. Phil or some of those people. He picked 12 ordinary people in ordinary occupations, like you and like I and like me. Um, Conventional wisdom would say you'd have to train them for 10 to 20 years, right? Well, according to John MacArthur, Jesus only had 18 months to train and develop these people to spread a message that would last over 2,000 years. So, what did he do? He did six things. The first thing Jesus did is he spent time with the people. We've got it up on the board here. I know it's going to be hard to see, so I'm just going to share it with you. He spent time with them, he encouraged them, he focused on training them. He let them make mistakes, but then lovingly corrected and instructed them. And the most important thing that he did is he prayed for them. So I'll read that again. He spent time with them. He encouraged them. He focused on training them. He let them make mistakes, but then lovingly corrected and instructed them. And the key there is he lovingly corrected and instructed them, and then he prayed for them. So think back to your high school or your college days, and think back when you played on a sports team, and you traveled around. And my experience playing baseball in college was that we would go on a spring trip every year, and we probably had more fun off of the field between the games, between the practices, than we did on the field. It was a great group of guys, we had great relationships, but we were together all the time. For roughly eight months out of the year, we were together. And when you think of the Colts, for instance, you ask any of the the Indianapolis Colts and they'll tell you, it's it's an 11-month commitment out of the year. They're on the road with people, they have roommates, they spend time on airplanes together. By spending time with people, you really get to know them. And if you think of a road trip that you may have gone on, you really get past the surface stuff and you really get into the relationship building. So Jesus spent time with these people. And if you can just picture Jesus and the 12 people just riding in a boat together, walking to another place together, just hanging out and enjoying each other's company. The question I need to ask you is, do you give the people in your life the opportunity to spend enough time with you so you can influence them? See, many guys say to me, I wish I could influence my children a little bit more. But then when we go down a list of where you're spending your time, they spend no time with their kids. So how can you expect to influence people when you don't let them spend time with you? When you're going to get gas in the car, take a child with you. When you're going to the supermarket late at night, grab a child and and just spend that time with you. I have great memories growing up of my dad just taking me to the gas station, taking me wherever he was going. And it's amazing how kids, all they want to do is spend time with you. If you have small children, all they want to do is spend time with you. The second thing Jesus did is he encouraged the 12 disciples. He believed in them before they believed in themselves. Do you say encouraging things to the people that you tell me are most important in your life? Or do you say negative things? Do you, do you make snide comments and remarks about them that, you, that may appear to be funny but really go very deep and really hurt somebody? So Jesus was very encouraging. He said encouraging things to the 12 disciples. So do you say encouraging things to your most important relationships? The third thing Jesus did is he focused on training them. He poured his life into their lives for 18 months. What would happen if the most successful person in your profession called you tomorrow and said, Hey, I want you to come out to California, bring your family, I'm getting out of the business. I want to share with you everything I learned over a 40-year career. I want you to have dinner with me. I want you to see how I do this. I want you to go on appointments with me. And I want to teach you over the next 18 months how to do the best you can do in this profession. Do you think after 18 months you'd have an idea how to do your job a little bit better? Well, absolutely. Jesus focused his energy into these people for 18 months. My question to you is what would happen if you focused on training your most important personal relationships over the next 18 months? What would happen to your relationships? What would happen to their lives if all you did was just focus your attention and your energy with the Lord, with your wife, with your children, with the grandchildren? It would be absolutely amazing. So even with everything going on, In the ministry that Jesus had, he still focused on training them. All the miracles were done in the presence of the 12 disciples to help strengthen their belief and their faith. (coughs) The fourth thing that Jesus did is he let them make mistakes. He sent them out two by two to do some minor things. He knew they were going to make mistakes, but then when they came back, he lovingly corrected and instructed them. He didn't bite their heads off. Do you let the people in your life make mistakes? Do you let them make mistakes? Are you quick to cut their head off when they make a mistake? Is it zero tolerance in your home? Is it zero tolerance in your work atmosphere? Or do you let them make mistakes because Jesus knew it was part of the learning process? I don't know about you, but I've learned more from making mistakes in my 35 years than I have with any success. And I don't know if you can say the same thing, but when we make these mistakes that are painful, we don't forget the lesson. So Jesus knew that was part of it. The final thing Jesus did is he prayed for them. Now, the greatest thing you can do for another human being is to pray for them, bar none. We think about sending relief aid down to the Katrina victims or the tsunami victims or those kinds of things, but the greatest thing you can do is to pray for them. How soon does a prayer get to the ears of the Lord? And how much of your prayer gets to the Lord? And when we think about sending a dollar down to help the the victims, uh, how much of that dollar actually gets there and how long does it take to get there? So prayer is the number one, the greatest thing you can do for another human being. And we read in God's Word how Jesus stayed up all night praying for the 12 disciples. My question to you is, how many times have you stayed up all night praying for your family? How many times have you stayed up all night praying for a friend who might be going through a really tough trial? How many times have you stayed up all night praying for the people in your congregation, the people that you work with, your customers, your neighbors? See, we just don't think about those things. And this is the behavior that Jesus did when he guided these 12 disciples. So I just want to wrap this up before we get into the discussion here. And I just want to challenge you What would happen if all you did was focus your energy on guiding and attracting the people in your life the way Jesus did for the next 30 days, for the next 90 days? And if you really want to get tough with this, get a fellow brother as an accountability partner and do this for the next 18 months. And you'll just be amazed at what God will do in your life, in your relationship with Him, in the lives of your children, your grandchildren, the people that you work with, I guarantee you, it will blow you away. And the biggest thing that I would caution you with is please take notes and take a journal along with you because Jesus and the Lord will surprise you in so many ways that uh, hopefully you'll be able to share this with people later on. So let's pray and we'll get into our discussion. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to get together. We thank you for these men. It's just an awesome thing to to come to Kokomo and see this number of men getting together in your name, Lord. I pray that you would, uh, any of the the five main storms that these brothers are dealing with, whether it's job, money, marriage, health, or family issues, I pray that you would just touch them. I pray that you would just put it on their hearts to uh, to ask a a fellow brother a question about how they're doing. Lord, I pray that you would uh, just bless these men. I pray that you would bless this discussion time. And I pray, Lord, that they would just take this message back and and go to you with it, Lord, and sit in in quiet time and just allow you to just uh, work on their hearts, Lord. We just thank you. We don't deserve it, uh, but you love us anyway. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.